Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone. Uh, this is Andy Richter, and you have tuned in to the uh, three questions yet again, I'm assuming. Unless you're a new listener, then uh, hooray for you. Uh, prepare to have your mind fucking blown. Um, <laughs> I, I am lucky enough to talk to a Team Coco family member, uh, an up-and-comer, a, uh, a juggernaut of comedy. I'm talking to Lacey Mosley, uh, the uh, scam goddess. Uh, you, your your podcast on the Team Coco Network. Yes, come on, Team Coco gang, gang, keep it yeah. in the family. <laughs> yes, I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. And, I'm so happy to be doing three questions. Uh, the Scam Goddess existed before Team Coco, right? It did. It did exist before Team Coco for a year. I, it was just Earwolf. But yeah, after a year, I I I was absorbed into uh, Daddy uh, Conan's. Orbit. <laughs> and daddy it's been great. It's, it's good you call him daddy because I always felt like I was the mother of the show. <laughs> I was the mommy of the show. That's my podcast, he was, Daddy. <laughs> he was the cold, distant one, and I was the, the encouraging one that people could approach. You uh, give the hugs, he gives the handshakes yeah, yeah, exactly. that are like a little too firm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he makes all the money, and I just, you know. I just soak it up. Oh, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was, what was the... Uh, what was the genesis behind that? Because it's kind of, you know, Scam Goddess, it's sort of in the title. It's kind of, you talk about scams and stealing and, you know. <laughs> Why are you saying stealing like that with so much judgment? Stealing. Okay, listen. Well, I mean, that's something Is anything really ours? Because we come <laughs> on earth with nothing. You know, you right, come out, right. you, literally, uh, as a baby, you're a scam because you're a little human with nothing. You have no things. You are literally a leech. And yeah. then when you die, you don't have nothing either. So it's like in between. Is it really yours? Or right, are we all stuff. who cares? Who's on this switch? big rock sharing. Yeah. No, I mean, it is something that, oh, that I think about because, you know, I mean, not to get too political or anything, but like with wealth inequality and with, mm. you know, there being so everything being so unbalanced wise, you know, I, I see people online who are like, Steal from Target, steal from Walmart, steal. And, mm -hmm. and I, there's part of me that completely understands it. But then there's also the part of me that has kids. It's like, no, don't steal. That's other people's things. And they'll be sad when their things are missing. <laughs> and when you get your stuff stolen, doesn't it bother you that someone else stole your stuff? So 
I personally am torn by, I don't know, the morality of it, just the acceptance of it. Like, I guess if we all just decide, like, stealing's cool, then I'll probably get on the bandwagon. I feel like I look at theft from large corporations in a moral sense. I'm like, y'all thieving wages. Y'all, you know, thieving tax dollars because all of y'all have all these breaks and corporate tax breaks and stuff. So I'm like, if someone wants to steal from Daddy Target, like absolutely rob them. It's called shrink. They already have it in the budget. They budget for theft. Fine. Mm-hmm. I don't like like robbing people on the street or like robbing people, people's cars or, or you know, just regular everyday people. But a big yeah. corporation, Daddy Target got it. <laughs> I can take a few flat screens. Daddy uh-huh. Target's going to be okay. It'll be, that'll be good. How did you know that they're like that, that this was, that, that this show had legs, like that this topic that you could really, I mean, is it something that you'd been talking about for a long time? Honestly, the whole podcast scam guide is, is a scam because I just wanted to do a comedy podcast. And at the time, the market was super saturated with comedy podcasts and I'm not famous. So they were like, well, you know. So I had to come up with something conceptually that was different at the time or is at least not as saturated. And so I love scams. and I was always researching scams and Googling them. And I kind of learned that from doing the Daily Zeitgeist podcast a lot because I always ask what's in your search history and it would mm-hmm. always be a scam. So I was like, oh, yeah, I fuck with scams. Like, so then I'll do that and like trick people into listening to my comedy show. But it's scams. And you won you won an iHeartRadio award for best true crime, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Little did they know. You weren't true crime at all. Which was really wild because I was up against like Jensen and Holtz. And if you know anything about them, they're really big in the true crime space. They basically helped suss out the uh, Golden State Killer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like they're like professional crime experts. (laughs) And I beat them with a comedy podcast about scams. (laughs) And it's so funny to me. They're great. I love them. But I was like. This is a scam. All of have this you, is a scam. Have you talked to them since? Or were they great? No, about it? I need to DM yeah. them because I actually, we do still follow each other and stuff because I've done Jensen and Holt. So like now I'm like, I, I need to hit him up and be like, my bad. Like I give him a Malcolm more. I'm like, I'm so sorry, Kendrick. You really deserve this award. I don't know how I got here and robbed everybody. <laughs> uh, I don't think any, you know, I don't think anybody's really good. I don't, you know, and also it's like, it's, it's great to get awards, but ultimately at the other end of it, it's like, well, I got an award, you know, like it's, you know, it's like, it's not like it's, it's not any money in your pocket. I don't think, is it? I mean, depending on what the award is and yeah, how much yeah. traction, it, it can bring some, some light and some coins to the pocket, but immediately no, no. Yeah, yeah. And especially during the pandemic, that was the sucky part is like, I've had Work-wise, my career has exploded during the pandemic, which was amazing, but also sad because it was like everything that I was going to do or go to, like the iHeartRadio was Shonda Rhimes presented me that iHeartRadio award. I was at home. We had to record everything. We were supposed to be in person, but then a new variant popped up and started, you know, doing the Omarion dance touch, you know, so (laughs) then we were back in lockdown. And and this is my trick about COVID and lockdown, um, because I don't know how long we're going to be here, but I've never gotten COVID. Let me knock on some wood, Sham. Let me find some wood. But I've noticed that 
when New York gets hit and when the numbers start to rise in New York, it's just like the time difference between L.A. and New York. We're three hours behind. Mm-hmm. So when I see New York starts going up, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go out. I got one more weekend to be outside and then I got to go back. <laughs> got to stay back home. Yeah, <laughs> got to yeah. stay back home. Yeah. Speaking of home, where are you from originally? I know I read it and it researched, but. I'm from Dallas, Texas. From Dallas, Texas. Yeah. And uh, your whole life you lived down in Texas? I mean, you know, your whole childhood? For the most part. There was one year um, that my family relocated to South Florida and then we moved back. But so I was in like Miramar, like Miami-Dade area Mm -hmm. um, for one year. And I went to a school and I was 13 in eighth grade and it was like portables and it was outside. And if you live in Miami, you know, like most days are like three o'clock during a certain seasons. It rains like almost every single day. So you're in portables. So when you leave class, you outside and then it's <laughs> raining and now you got to dodge the raindrops to go to your yeah. next class. It was it was crazy. But so most of my time was in Texas, but one year in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, is, did you come from a big family? I come from a big extended family, but my immediate family is pretty small. It's just me and my little sister. And okay. then I have a younger brother and a younger sister with my father. Yeah. So. Okay. So, and you described your family as a black theatrical family. Uh, <laughs> now, does that mean professional theatric or just amateur theatric? And I wish you read that again. What did I describe my family as? A black theatrical family. <laughs> she comes from a black theatrical family. The way you read that, you have like this silky smooth, like ganache <laughs> chocolate voice. And just hearing you be like, she comes, she hails from a black theatrical, a black theatrical family. family. Uh, yes, I do. My family is all about theatrics, especially on the Mosley side. Mm-hmm. Um, at family reunions, there was always a program. Somebody was going to get up and recite a Maya Angelou poem that was guaranteed. Um, wow. some, someone's going to get up and do Bible verses. I remember... Uh, Christmas, my aunt Kathy, she likes to host like a pre-Christmas party in her house. And my dad is such like a Scrooge. Like he's not into the mess. And we're very much a big messy family who's going to be yelling and doing whatever. So we were at my aunt Kathy's house for Christmas Eve celebration. And she starts passing out these folders. We know what these folders are for. We're Mosley's. We know what they're for. My dad, I've never seen a man so angry in my life for for joy. We was like, sir, how are you so mad? So we open it and obviously the folder's a songbook and there's carols. So we're all singing carols. And my dad is just sitting there like we're stabbing him. Like I've never seen someone be more upset (laughs) at Christmas carols. But yeah, so we're very extra. We love a program. We love to sing. We love to dance. There's always going to be a performance at every uh, family gathering, including funerals. And is that that's just been around forever? That's just is there any any one member of the family driving that or? I don't know. It's just yeah. been around for as long as I can remember. And we listen, the Moses are going to bring the theatrics wherever we are, even if it is the funeral. You know how many people have tried to jump into grave sites and we like sis, we're not. You cannot go with them. Like, please. It also it would be expensive. The casket was like eight thousand dollars. Get up. Get off of the casket. Oh, but once the (laughs) casket's in the ground, who cares if there's a ding on it? You know what I mean? Nobody's going to be seeing it again. 
<laughs> that's very true. Yeah. I, I'm sure that's comforting to people who like do casket business. They're like, oh, damn, we nicked it. Man, yeah. they, it's going okay. in the ground. Yeah, yeah. So what like it bringing out the wax it or something. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, you need that. Those relatives you just need to tie like a rope around their waist. And just so that, you know, a safety line for anybody that you fear <laughs> might might do a cask, a, do, a, do a coffin leap. Uh, right. It was. I don't know why it's a thing, but everybody yeah. loves to do a coffin leap. Or take me with you, a while on me. And it's like, come on now. They're trying to put the dirt in there. Right. Get up. Yeah. And there's no way out of there that's elegant. No. You, know what? you, you cannot get out of there gracefully. There's it's, no classy way to yeah, yeah, exit yeah. a grave site. Right. You're like, oh, exactly. that was. Sorry, guys. I just got a little taken over by the spirit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't mind the dirt. Let's let's go ahead and head to Aunt. <laughs> so what's Aunt for Wilma's. the repast? Yeah. Yeah, what are we having at the repast for dinner? Like, yeah, no. Once you've done that. But that's the thing about family. There's no judgment. You can be extra and we're yeah. not. We're, we'll pick you up out of the gravesite and we'll talk shit about you later, but no yeah. judgment in person. Now, do those theatrics carry over into like drama, kind of, you know, big fights and things at oh, family yeah. gatherings? Yeah. Yeah. Is there a lot of. Now, is it is it like. From a big dysfunction, or is it just kind of healthy, noisy family stuff? Or is no, it dysfunction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's mostly dysfunction. Sometimes yeah. healthy, noisy, but there's a lot of dysfunction. There's a lot of he said, she said. There's a lot of, like, because we live in Texas, and a lot of us live in Texas, most of us actually, in the Mosley side of my family, like, we both, they're, they're separated. So there's, like, you know, East Texas, there's North Dallas, or we're all pretty much in North Texas, but, like, there's North Dallas, there's Frisco, there's, you know, all these areas, Cedar Hill, whatever. There's a bunch of different areas that everyone lives. And so when gossip gets passed along, it's through the telephone. And you know how the game of telephone goes. Mm -hmm. It's like by the time you hear it at the end, it's nothing near what it sounded like at the beginning. Yeah. So a lot of that happens. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, it'll be like two years went by and two family members haven't spoken. And then I finally find out why why they beefing and can tell the other one like, oh, this is why she mad. Like. It's been right. two years, but right, this right. is this is what we know. Yeah, and that's 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 a very similar dynamic that always existed in my family. And it isn't until you get away that you question it. Like it's just like mm -hmm. you know, it's like part of the scenery. You don't you don't think about like, oh, this is fucked up. But no. like in my family, it nobody would talk directly to the person. It was all circular talk. Like, did you like somebody would do something, it would be like, Oh, did you hear what so-and-so did. Yeah, I heard too. And guess what? So-and-so did. And then, and then I grew up thinking like that was somehow polite or something, you know, like, like, because you're not confronting people and you're not hurting their feelings and stuff, mm -hmm. but like, it, no, it's 10 times worse because it just gets like deeper and more twisted. And, yeah. and like you say, untrue, like, you know, things, it becomes bigger than it needs to be, you know? So. Exactly. Like, I would say that most of my family is currently embroiled in fights over dumb shit, like yeah. over the dumbest shit. And I don't care if they hear that because I'm not being specific, but like over the dumbest stuff like this is silly. Oh, no, I, yeah, absolutely. And I used to I go by the something in your teeth um, mantra, which is I'm making this up. Y'all know I'm a scammer, but it's my mantra that I just made up right now, which is yeah. the something in your teeth mantra is if you see somebody that you know and you care about and you see something in their teeth, yeah, maybe it's polite to not embarrass them and be like, oh, you got a huge piece of lettuce in your front teeth. But it's kinder to have an awkward moment and be like, hey, something's in your teeth. 
and mm-hmm. then move on from it. And then both of you are better for it. Now that person right. doesn't have the thing in their teeth and y'all can move on. So right. I'm very much of like, I'll have an uncomfortable conversation because I would rather have the uncomfortable conversation out of love than not. And my mom always told me that too, with acting and everything. She was like, if people will give you honest feedback, you have to cherish that because a lot of people want to be polite. A lot of people want to be like, oh yeah, it's good. You know, I feel like everybody's voice raises like six octaves when they start doing white lies. <laughs> Only for white lies, regular lies, yeah. which I'm not going to call black lies, I'm black. Uh, but <laughs> regular lies. Yeah. You know, the harmful when- ones are black. <laughs> <laughs> they do that with everything. Black magic. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, no, I know. There's a whole list of them. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so like, white lights, everyone's like, oh yeah, I love that dress. Oh, your shirt looks so nice. Oh, your hair looks great. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, we love the new decorations. It just goes higher and higher when you're doing white lies. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't see, I think, because I've been accused of that. And like, I had an ex girlfriend that told me that, you know, every time, that she'd say, you know, did you, do you like that person or something? Like, yeah, they're all right. And she'd yeah, say, but yeah. you're lying. And I would say, like, no, I'm not really lying, but it's, I'm giving you, I'm letting you know it's a complicated truth. You yeah. know, I think for me that hot, like, like oh, yeah, it was nice. You know, that means it was nice. You get the vibe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, also, yeah. I feel like all right is never something that I want to be called <laughs> when I'm not in a room. Mm-hmm. Like I very much want to be treated like when I'm not in a room, please treat me like I am a missing white woman. I want everyone to be like her <laughs> smile lights up the room. Everyone wanted to be her friend. She had a way about her and a light. Like that's what I want when I'm yeah. gone. I don't want anybody to be like, they were all right. All right means. They were tolerable. They didn't they didn't do anything too out of pocket, but I didn't enjoy them. Yeah, but I think that white woman, that's just like a white woman on forensic files. Cause there's some white women in real life when they're gone, you're like, oh good. <laughs> and I wish somebody would say that. I wanna see a documentary where they're like, Susan went missing 10 years ago. And I'm not gonna lie, honestly, I've been sleeping better. I'm way less stressed. Susan was yeah. problematic and she got yes. on our nerves. And I, I hope that she's okay, but yes. also that she stay wherever she at and don't come back. Like, yeah. I wish people would tell the truth because I know a, every missing person, a uh, person that everybody fucked with. Some of these people who went missing, everybody was like, phew, I'm yeah, so glad yeah. they got kidnapped because right. I don't know how we was going to live with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were the perfect couple. Mm, I don't know. Were they? <laughs> were they? they and like, look at, I can tell Zach, from that picture they right. were so perfect. And you Zach know? Fox has a great joke about that on Twitter of like, white man murders his family and it's a photo of all of them on a jet ski. And it's like, no, he murdered them. Why are y'all putting this happy photo up? He a murderer. He, he murdered them with the jet ski though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know how much time and dedication it takes to murder somebody with a jet ski? Chase them down? In oh, choppy God. water. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, how, is there anybody else in your family that's professionally theatrical or are they just all amateurs leaving it up to you? <laughs> uh, to be the don't, professional? don't get me embroiled in a family fight. <laughs> um, I am the only professional entertainer. Um, my cousin, who's my best friend, Eric, he is a yoga instructor and an oh, okay. ambassador for fitness and Lululemon. So he's kind of like has a similar like 
we do weirdo stuff on the internet for money thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah. But other than that, everyone else just has a lot of talents that they entertainment talents that they just don't use for entertainment. They work right. at the call center or wherever the hell. And um, but they're great. Like, I love my family there. I when I was a kid, my birthday is July 4th. I call it Fourth of Jalacy. Um, because we don't need to celebrate the Declaration of Independence or any of those laws that the old white men came up with in their rooms, right. you know? But we can celebrate me. So the 4th of July is what I celebrate. And when I was a kid, it was always a family reunion. So mm-hmm. we would be in Kemp, Texas, which is like East Texas. And like all my family lived on this hill. Like all my, my grandmother and all of my great aunts lived on the same hill. And we would go down to each house. Aunt Bobby, uh, Aunt Bobby Jean had like some great sides, you know, aunt, like there's so many aunts on the street and they all specialized in a certain food or whatever. Mm-hmm. But so it was a big party and people were dancing and drinking and having a good time. So, you know, they know how to get theatrical, but they don't work in theatrics. Right, but they right. do. I'll, I'll never forget my cousin, um, Sam. He this is so crazy. He is dark, but it's funny to me. Maybe I have a weird sense of humor, but he one time showed up to the family reunion on my birthday and I was a kid and he was wearing shorts that he, you know how people do cut off shorts, right? Sure. Jeans that you cut. Yeah. Jeans that you cut. Yeah. But he cut them straight across and you can't cut pants straight across because then you're not allowing room for the booty in the back because the booty sticks out more than in the front where it's just straight thighs. So he had on these cut off jean shorts and then his whole booty was hanging out in the back. (laughs) And I loved him. He, um, you know, had a bout with drugs and he went to rehab and this is so crazy. This is the funny dark thing. He went to rehab for the drugs. And then I was watching the news with my parents. And they were like, oh, a man has been hit by a car leaving rehab. It was my cousin. Oh, Jesus. So low key, if he didn't go to rehab, he'd probably still be alive. Oh, my God. Wait, so he, it was a fatal accident? Yes. Oh he left God. rehab and got hit by a car. And what I was the- like... I hate it here. Life is life is too much. Like, oh my bitch, God. if that's I don't try to get better and then I get hit by a car when I leave, get no my shit. betterment. And especially my- if you see like that second right before it hits you, you're like, fuck. What and a you- waste of time. Also, you leave the rehab like I'm rehabilitated. Do, 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 do. Brand yeah. new life. And then you get hit by a car. Bitch. Listen, if I got hit by a car after leaving rehab, I would have to fist fight Jesus. Like, I just like, <laughs> let Send me into me heaven. Back. Send me to the king because we just need to have a small fist of cuff. <laughs> just a little bit. I've always said, I've always said, like, every time I'm eating a salad, I think if I die in a car wreck, I'm going to be pissed that I wasted this lunch on fucking lettuce. That's another trick that I always tell myself in the car because I'll get texts and I'll, I'll never forget. There's another comedian, Elle Woods, who you probably mm-hmm. know. And she had tweeted before I left my house. I read her tweet that was like, guys, please don't text and drive. Like, please be present. And I was like, you know what? I need to be more present. I'm already a terrible driver. How dare I also be trying to text at the same time? Mm -hmm. I'm a horrible driver. I got my driver's license and I didn't have to take a driver's test. I just went to driving school in Texas and the driver instructor would always be like, 
you need to practice more. And I'd be like, okay. And then I got my license and nobody checked. Yeah. yeah. And they should have, because I'm a minister society. And yeah. that's Texas. <laughs> Listen, I got dropped by Allstate because I got into too many accidents. The the black man from Allstate came over and was like, You are not in good hands anymore. <laughs> we dropped you. The hands have we are no longer right. culpable. Right, right. But well, you don't want him coming over and talking about hands <laughs> anyway. <laughs> You know. The president from 24, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so Elle was like, don't be on your phone. So yeah. I got on the road and was on the freeway on the 101, and it was stalling a little bit. And so I like was tempted to pick up my phone. I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? Let me not do that. I read Elle's tweet. I'm going to be a better person. So I'm I'm intending to look, and I'm so glad that I was. I low-key think her tweet saved my life because... There was a car in front of me, a truck that had an open bed and they had tied some rope and shit around the contents in the back. And I was looking and I was like, are those windows? Are those window panes in front of me on this truck? And because I was paying heavy attention, I was like, I'm not about to be driving behind no motherfucker with windows in the back of their truck. Mm -hmm. So I switched lanes at the exact perfect time because when I switched lanes... This truck is driving down the 101 freeway and the window panes start sliding off the back. <laughs> and now oh, they're shit. flying. They're flying into cars. Faces are flying into cars. Window shields are flying onto the street. And I was like, whoop. See, I'm glad that I was paying attention <laughs> and I got out of the damn plane. Like, yeah, y'all, yeah. don't drive around with windows in the back of your truck without them being secured. <laughs> how, how, how are you driving? That's why I lays a wild time because how I am I driving? Know. And now windows flying at my face. What's happening? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a yeah, that's a dangerous situation. You got to tie those windows down, people. <laughs> if you're out there. If you're out there. <laughs> Save big money and start your spring project with help from Menards. We offer a huge selection of body plants, veggies, and herbs to plant at home and grow yourself. Right now, all four and a half inch Bonnie plants are on sale through May 5th. Head to the Menards Garden Center to get your garden growing and check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. 
Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Can't you tell my love's a growing? When you start thinking, I mean, I guess the first question is, when do you start thinking about what you're going to do with the rest of your life and that you're going to, you know, probably leave Texas and, and trying to get into entertainment? Um, I knew when I was five that I wanted to be an actor and I told my mom at five and she got me some headshots and then she sat me down and she said, I don't want you to be a child star. I don't want you to have a hard life as an adult being addicted to drugs or whatever happens to child stars. And she was also like, I want to live my life and I don't want to be living out of a car trying to make an acting career happen. And like, I was like a young, young kid when she said these things to me, but I understood it and I respected it. Cause I was like, if I ever have kids, like my mom always said, like you were born into my life, not vice versa. And my mom <laughs> lives her life. Like she is always accomplishing things. She's always doing different stuff. She's always out here and like, you know, will visit me like bops around the country and the world. And I always respected that because I was like, oh, wow, if you have kids, you don't have to, like, not have a life anymore after you have some unemployed freeloaders out of your vagina. Like, you can still have a life. Mm -hmm. Um, But so she was like, well, I want you to wait to do it professionally. But as long as my grades were good, I was able to go to any acting class that I wanted. I participated in every scam that was available in Texas. Honey. If they were on the radio, like John Robert Powers coming to a local mall near you. I was at the mall going to John Robert Powers. <laughs> Listen, Barbazon, Katie Studios, whatever the scam was, I was like, sign me up. Did you I do will glamour be shots there. at the glamour shots at the mall? Any of those kind of things? I didn't do glamour shots for acting. I did do glamour shots for family photos and other things, but yeah, yeah. I was fully involved. Anytime I went to the mall, honey, I, I had a full beat face as a 11 <laughs> or 12 year old. And I would just be sitting next to the water fountain, slurping real slow, hoping somebody would discover me. I was like, that's where it happens, right? The water fountain? Yeah. Somebody gonna at discover ma- me. At the mall in Texas. Yes. Yeah. I was like, some agent gonna walk by and see me slurping on this water. I just gotta be here for three more hours. <laughs> My lips will prune, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm rehydrated as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> My skin will be glowing. Yes. Uh, well, so do you? When do you start like making a solid career plan? I mean, or you just think I'm going to go to college and study acting, kind of thing? So college for me was a bit of a scam, which it is for a lot of millennials. I wanted to act, so when I turned 18, I was like. All right, girls, let's, I'm going to L.A. Y'all going to support me? And, and my parents were like, this is a college from family. We all go to college. You're going to college. And I was like, okay. And I'm glad that I went because I have some of the best friends I've ever had from yeah. that experience. And I also learned a lot. I have a marketing degree and a theater performance minor. But I left college. It was when I left college and I went to New York City that I was like, okay, I'm coming to New York, honey. Like, I want to act. So I remember going to an open call for uh, Motown on Broadway and my scammer brain, which I didn't understand at the time and what I was thinking and doing. But at the time I was standing in this line with my songbook, ready to get out there and sing a song from Once on this Island, a stranger in white 
in a car. <laughs> like I was ready. And I'm in this line from like 5 a.m. And then I see news crews start showing up. And then all of these people start hopping out of line. And the news crew's like, what are you going to sing today at the Motown audition? And they're like, calling out around the world. And then like four, mm-hmm. five other niggas hop out of the line. And then they dancing in the back. And they all dancing in the street. <laughs> and, and when I saw that, I said, oh, my God, this is a publicity stunt. This is not a real audition. This is yeah. literally to get pressed for this Broadway show. I went in. I sang. I got a call back. But it was like, this is not real. And then I worked at a bar called Karma Lounge where we served hookahs. And it's the only place you could smoke inside after New York was like, no more cigarettes inside mm-hmm. because it would have, they had a position that it would destroy the business because they were selling hookahs. So right. it's a bar and a hookah place on First Avenue. And they ha- had different nights downstairs at the bar. And so one night was like foot night. So I used to bartend the foot fetish night and the ladies of the feet would come in and they were always so, so nice. And then the the people who enjoy feet would come in and sometimes we would set up little private partitions. So if you pay extra, I guess you would go behind a curtain and Mm. whatever foot activities happen. I was just serving Mm. drinks. Right, I understand. You know, I'm like, here, we got the toenail special tonight. It's Mm. Bud Light. Uh, Yeah. In the basement of a bar. Yeah, that's literally where it was. Sexy. But then I got moved um, to the stand-up night at the bar. And I would be down there bartending while the stand-up night was happening. And then I was like, huh, I kind of want to, like, try stand-up. So I did at my job. Like, I kind of just, it was a dive bar. So I just took a break from the bar. and was like, yeah, I'll be all right. I don't know. Go back there and get your own corona. And (laughs) did stand-up. And that made me realize that I was like, oh, I really love comedy. And so I started doing stand-up more. And then I moved into improv because I kind of felt like church camp to stand-up in New York City. Sometimes it's just like a lot of sad, weird men yes. in a dark bar. And I was yes. a young woman. Yeah. Yes. And so I was like, no, oh, improv, church camp. So then I started doing improv. And I had a great... I actually want to say this on your podcast. If anybody's listening who's interested in acting, I had a great mentor who randomly was a friend of someone else's from church and we linked up because of my cousin. And the best advice that he gave me was, he was like, okay, well, you want to be an actor, so where's your community? Like, where's your community? So is it stand-up? Is it doing improv? Is it going to a regional theater and performing there? Is it going to a graduate program like a Yale or a Rutgers or a Juilliard? Is it doing online content and like web series and, you know, maybe your own bits on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. He was like, you have to find a community. You have to find a place where you're with like-minded people. And that led me to UCB. And then I, that was my cult. That cult was my jam. Yeah. Yeah. No, people talk a lot, uh, you know, the people that I talk to, especially like mostly because it's mostly comedians that I talk to on here, but, uh, most of them, but even people that aren't necessarily in comedy, they all talk about the notion of, and for lack of a better phrase, finding your tribe. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely had that where I, I grew up in a small town and, in a, you know, I got old enough and I started to feel like unhappy and like not fitting in, and, but didn't quite understand why. And then, you know, 
moved to the city and was like, oh, this is why. Because <laughs> you're why. smart as hell and you're I'm hilarious. So, you're like, oh, to... everyone's dumb around me and I'm Andy Richter. <laughs> I didn't want to say happening? that. What's happening? I'll I say it. Say <laughs> you're very smart and you're very cool. Wait, Andy, I have to ask, weren't you the one who interviewed Kamala Harris at UCB? Yes. Yes, I yeah, was yeah, yeah. there for that. I was. And you were fantastic. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I got a lot of shit for that just because... On online, you know, I mean, I and well, they they actually kind of because I actually was for Elizabeth Warren, but I love Kamala Harris. I was too, and I'm so pr- I was so proud <laughs> of like my senator, and you know, first my secretary, w- w- no, no, attorney general, then my senator, and that she's running, and I really like her. I really like a lot. But I mean, Elizabeth Warren had a plan for fucking everything, and it just seemed. I know she did. She was yeah, a white yeah. lady with lots of plans and lots yes. of receipts. She's yes. the type of white lady who would have a, a a binder filled with clip coupons. Yes, like yes. I feel like she got a coupon for every occasion. That's why I love me some Lizzie Warren when she was yeah. running for president. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, I but, don't think you know. I do kind of think, like, just in the fucked up world that it is. Maybe it's probably not bad that we got an old white man, you know, just to kind of do the transition from <laughs> awful old white man Yee. into like back into some, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I wouldn't want that, a person of color to inherit the coronavirus because that ain't Joe Biden's fault, <laughs> but he pulled up and they were like, Corona. Yeah, and it's like, that, now it's you, his thing. That's, yeah, that's the kind of thing. And I mean, and it's also, it is still such a racist, such an overwhelm, I mean, overwhelmingly in, in that it's more than 50% still has kind of a racist viewpoint that white old white men still they know how to run things and it's like no your your ultimate old white man was in the white house for four years and fucked everything up you know like so it's hard to get out of that place though yeah and that's what i always try to tell white people who listen to my shows or listen to anything that i do well-meaning good white people i'm like y'all if you have to learn shit every day about people of color, if you have to learn all of these things and like how to be a better ally or how to be a person who's, you know, supporting people who have, you know, discrimination that they're facing every day. Also know that like black and brown people in the U.S. have been indoctrinated to the same racist teachings and practices that y'all have. Like I have to fight the white man in my head constantly. Like, Wearing my hair natural and curly, I was like, oh, well, this isn't for special occasions. And I was like, get out of here, little white man. Like, it's the little white man saying that to me. <laughs> like, we we all have to unlearn the things that we've been taught that are yeah. toxic. But wait, I want to know, why were the girls upset that you were host of Kamala? Oh, because just, no, it wasn't, it wasn't girls. It was just, it was just the internet. I said girls for everyone. Okay, all right. I said right. the girls. Okay, I understand. <laughs> um, th- this girl understands. Um... Uh, <laughs> It was, it's because it, you know, like within, within the democratic candidates, there's such like, if you're for the wrong democratic candidate, Mm. then you're worse than a Republican to some people, you know? Mm. And so a lot of people, and actually they had me do like a little video with, with, with the Senator, uh, (laughs) at, at, at the TikTok, y'all did the woke. At, well, no, they had me do this little video and like they had some idea of it, uh, of what they wanted me to do. And I was like, mm, how about if we do this? I say this. She says so, this. So, Andy, I you're going to twerk. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was like I said, how about this? Just simple little sketch thing. And they're like, OK. 
Um, and they, Andy, and, do you know how to throw that ass in a circle? Because that's what we're going to need for this I campaign don't, I don't. video. If you're ready to hear the sound of an old man's hip go out. Yeah, you make a yes. clap Clunk. for Kamala Harris. Claps for Kamala Harris, but it's not hands. We want your cheeks to clap. Can you do that for Kamala Harris? Well, all right. I, mean, I have to take these jeans off. Uh, oh, no. Give them a little room. Uh, <laughs> but no, she. they had me do this thing. And the guy, like one of her people's like, okay, you say this. And, and I'm like, well, what do you want me to say? And he said, like, the Iowa caucuses are coming up, so vote for Kamala Harris. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't. I'm not sh- okay. And I was like, ah, what the fuck? I mean, so yeah, vote for Kamala Harris if you want to, I guess, ah! you know. And, and and then it became like I was a big endorser of hers, but it was like, no, I just I was <laughs> I was just too shy. Not you doing a quick little video and they were like, our number one supporter, Andy Richter. Exactly. He he is number one on the list. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah I'm a supporter, but I'm all, you know, I like lots of them. Tepid. Yeah. No, I know what you mean because there was a lot of infighting amongst Democrats when it came to Elizabeth Warren, Bernie yeah. Sanders, the Bernie bros and the Bernie thems and, and the girls. Oh, they were the most aggressive. They were like, come on, we, we he's trying to give us free everything. Yeah. Shut up and vote. And, and yeah, there was a lot of contention. And I even remember talking to Kamala Harris after that because her record had been brought up as a prosecutor in California, and we were like, "Hey, girl, hey, uh, KK, KK, hey, mm-hmm. girl, you always keep throwing niggas in jail, or what's what's going on? <laughs> you gonna stop doing that or what? Like, because the girls are mad about it, and yeah. we talked about it, and she was like, "I'm trying to change the judicial process or system through the inside, and I thought yep. I could do that as a prosecutor. And I was like, that's very cute." But just like capitalism, white supremacy is not something that can be penetrated from the inside. Just like policing. You can have good cops, but like if there's a bunch of uh, mostly bad cops, even if you try to be good, you're going to not win. You're going to be hard. I don't because, you know, I I don't I don't know about that because and I, I, I probably lean more towards the way you're saying. But like I remember after the the Berlin Wall fell, uh, McCartney okay, I don't remember was out that, of office. I read about it. <laughs> Gorbachev. Gorbachev. That wall. Yeah. Gorbachev, after he was out of office, they asked him, like, you know, kind of like, you know, did you know this was coming? And mm-hmm. he said, I became a dissident, like I became a non-believer in the 1950s. And I made the decision to get as high as I could to see what I could do about tearing this thing down. Mm. And that always kind of struck me as like, I mean, he might've been blowing smoke, you know what I mean? Right. It's like, he might've been like, it kind of worked out that way. Revisionist and, history. It's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. yeah, I did that. Yeah, it yeah. was Oh yeah, I always wanted the, I always wanted the, No, it was to, me. I was the main the one. entire thing, yeah. I was um, the main one. You know, I used to love construction and I was yeah, like, yeah. we should really get rid of that wall. It was definitely me. Yeah. <laughs> But I do think I do think like good people do have to, you know, like good people have to go into fucking government. Good. You know, and it's like I don't want to because government's just one long PTA meeting. But uh, yeah. And it being your business too much. I'm not trying to go into government because I like what is anything I had I did in my 20s or yesterday have to do with me being in government. I don't even know the bitch that I was yesterday. I don't know her. I'm today. Lacey never met the never met the old girls. Don't know them. Yeah. Never heard of them. Yeah. So I'm I'm on the same page with you about that. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah. like, I don't, 
I don't want no parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the whole, I mean, I'm like not as political as I used to be anyway, because I am a little like, oh, it's all so fucked up and I'm just tired. I'm just but tired. You know what that is, though, Andy? That's wisdom. That's them winning. I know. It's not them winning. I'm saying it's wisdom because I, as I'm growing and learning and aging, I've learned so much from people who are a little bit older than me or even my parents, which me and my mom are not that far apart. She, I mean, she was 21, so we're not very far apart in age. Mm-hmm. But I remember going home to Texas during the primaries and I got home and my family had a Mike Bloomberg sign in the lawn. I said, bitch, what the fuck? I took that shit. I yanked that shit out of the grass. I was like, this is embarrassing. Are you not embarrassed? Why do we have this? And they were like, you don't understand, Lacey. A white man's going to win. Because I was like, Elizabeth Warren, like, we, we team yeah. Warren girls. And we we doing a... Um, <laughs> We're doing a flash mob for Lizzie Warren in, in front of the courthouse, you know, like all on the bandwagon. Yeah. And they, they we're, were wearing like, a different kind of hat. Right. Yeah. We all wearing we all wearing green scrunchies today for Lizzie, for Lizzie Warren. <laughs> and they were like, what you don't understand because you fresh and you got all these hot ass ideas from college and shit is that that's not how change works. It moves a lot slower. We've been through it. We know the excitement that you have. We're not trying to tampen that. But an old white man is going to win this election. So we just trying to vote for the old white man that might win. So mm-hmm. either Mike Bloomberg or Joe Biden, because yeah. they were like, it's going to be an old white yeah. man. And, and that's and that's actually that's 100 percent it. It was going to be an old white man. And then, you know, and then, I mean, South Carolina kind of said, hey, Joe Biden. And then from that point on, it was Joe Biden. So, you know, isn't that crazy how like some states also like. I understand states' rights and I understand like why we have a Congress and a Senate and it's like, oh, well, if you're from a smaller state, you still get equal representation in the country. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't think all y'all motherfuckers need to be equal. I live in California and we are funding the country and we should have more say than the rest of y'all. Absolutely. We're the fifth largest economy in the fucking world. World. In the world. Like how is New York City and L.A., Got the same voting rights as Topeka, right. Kansas. Right. Y'all got six people over there. Every time somebody drive into the state, the population number go up. That's yeah. how little people are that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, the Senate. Yeah, they, it's fucked up. It needs revamping. And the elect, electoral college is a fucking joke. Yeah. So it's just it's really Very hard ghetto. to go. I mean, I still get all these emails about like, you know, uh, you know, we need your help. You can make a difference. And it's like, I, don't, I tried and I don't think I I was can making Can I make a difference? a difference? I don't know. The yeah, difference didn't I feel mean, like it was made. The difference yeah. feels like it's still in progress. Also, I, I should got, give money to candidates. But beyond that, I'm kind of taking it easy, you know. Child, I gave so much money to candidates, like especially in like big election years where we're trying to turn seats and stuff. Like I'll always donate, but sometimes I get those emails afterwards because once you donate, you know you get oh, yeah. emails from the Democratic Party for whatever. Right, right. Sometimes I'm like, y'all are begging too much for mm-hmm. me. I have to pay taxes. I done paid into so many GoFundMe's. My name is Cigna for healthcare. I'm a goddamn healthcare insurance <laughs> provider in this state. How about yeah. y'all go do some damn work and stop bothering me for my coins? Talking about Hillary need twenty more dollars. You know, so so need fifty seven dollars. What you got? Like no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I know. I, I unsubscribe to so many of them just because I can't do it. I felt bad when um, I unsubscribed it from Blue. I was like, I love y'all, but I have to leave. Gotta go. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, so when when did you start or sort of really get in the sense that you were going to be able to make a living, make a go of performing? Like, did you feel kind of, I mean, cause there's always that I might, but then like, you know, that that's different from, oh yeah, this is what I do for a living. Yeah. I, I will say this cause I feel like not enough actors do this or are honest. I have an extreme amount of privilege in the fact that my family is financially stable enough that when I lived in New York city for two years, they paid my rent. When I moved to L.A., I was working in restaurants and I was paying my own rent, but they still paid my car note and my insurance. Yeah. Like I I could reach for the stars because I knew that if I fell, I wasn't going to end up on Santa Monica Boulevard trying to like make a coin. You know, yeah. like I knew that I had protections and a safety net. I worked my ass off. But I think two things can be true. I yes. think you can have luck and privilege and, and, and a little bit of a head start. And you can also be a very hard fucking worker, which is weird to me because in Hollywood, a lot of performers and actors who have nepotistic relationships much stronger than my own are always trying to be like, Hollywood is a meritocracy. And I'm like, it's not, boo-boo. No. Like, Ben Stiller said that. I'm like, yo, yo, Wikipedia, yo, both your parents got, got blue underlined links. Yeah. You got links on your wiki, which means... Yeah, yeah. It's you yeah. had a head start. Even if your dad didn't get you a movie role, or your mama didn't get you a movie role, you at least knew where you should take classes. You mm-hmm. at least knew how to find opportunities. And when everyone yeah. comes out here, we don't know that shit. We're just throwing shit at the wall and hoping something sticks. You know how many dark alleys I've been down thinking either I'm gonna get murdered or I might get an acting job. Yeah. Many. <laughs> so, too many, honestly. Yeah. I was well, irresponsible. <laughs> it's, and and he is a, an incredibly hardworking person. Yes, I mean, he just and is talented. and a talented person. But yeah, you're right. Like there, like he can uh, he can see it as a meritocracy. But I would say, like, and okay, you want to see it as a meritocracy right. because you got it, you know, because you worked hard and you want to own that work. And okay, yeah. I get that. But you got to do. It's like a qualified meritocracy. It's like a meritocracy with benefits. Exactly. Uh, for and certain two people. things yeah. can be true. I just Precisely. want everybody to know that two things can simultaneously be true. You can be Maude Apatow yeah. and you can be Lexi on Euphoria. And yeah, your daddy Judd Apatow and Leslie Mann is your mama. We know your parents. Yeah. But at the same time, like... You're great. You can be great on your own, but yeah. you know, we don't have to hide and sweep under the rug the fact that uh, certain assurances make your life easier when mm-hmm. you are trying to, you know, mount Everest, you know? Yeah. And I I knew, honestly, I, I put my head down and I worked really, really hard. I was working like 50 hours a week serving and waiting tables. I thought it was part-time and they just kept adding me to the schedule. And I was like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. And, I did that. I did comedy shows at night. I got my car towed 12 times because I, I didn't have parking and would be up all day and all night and then sleep through moving my car sometimes and crazy shit. But I knew probably when I booked Florida Girls, which um, my one of my dearest friends, Laura Chen, I met her at UCB. She created this show after 
all of my auditions and chemistry reads and stuff. When mm-hmm. I got the job, she was like, yo, I wrote this role for you. Like, I wrote this for you. And I couldn't tell you while you were auditioning because I didn't know how it was going to go, but I wrote this for you. And then she was like, also, this is a pilot presentation. I don't want you to get fired. So, you know, give it your all. But also, like, everyone through the hiring process, uh, casting process was like, we love Lacey, but she comes off like she's never been poor. Like, there's something about her that just gives rich. And I was like, oh, okay. well, let me work on this. So I went and that's why I love her. Like we were talking earlier about the something in your teeth or just telling the truth. I appreciated that she told me the truth because somebody did get recasted from our pilot presentation. And so I'm so glad that I knew like every table read, everything that I did, it was under scrutiny and I needed to bring it. Mm -hmm. And I watched Flavor of Love. (laughs) And I can't say who because I want them to sue me. That's what you did to learn how to be poor? Yes, I watched Flavor of Love. (laughs) And there was a woman on Flavor of Love who I literally stole her whole essence, her voice, her personality, where she was from. I was like, oh, this is all perfect. So then I was talking like this. Like, I, I got it all from her. So, yeah, but I knew when I did Florida Girls that I was like, I can make this a career for the rest of my life. And then when I started podcasting, I think that was when I was truly sure that I would be okay as an entertainer because making something, as you know, you've made a lot of brilliant things, Andy. Oh, like thank you. making something gives you the independence and freedom as an artist to know that even if the opportunities aren't like knock, knock, knocking, you can make opportunities yeah. for yourself. Yeah. Well, and I find too, and as I get older, the making of things is all I care about. I don't care any, like, I, you know, yeah, I want to make money, you know, and I make a nice living, but I, you know, I don't need, I don't need a fucking private jet. I don't need three houses. I, I need a private jet, Andy. All right. You can get, you can have your I private know, jet. I know it's bad for the environment, but I'm black and we didn't get reparations. So my reparations <laughs> is me being able to fly a private jet. Y'all it's fix me, the environment. Is jet fuel. Yeah, that's, that's not my up to reparations me. is four <laughs> tank trucks of jet fuel. Of oh, jet fuel. <laughs> I want to fly a jet to go up the street. <laughs> like, at least you could have drove I'm like y'all got a tarmac yeah, up there I got a jet well, Cause I'm gonna even, be landing You just drove the jet You didn't even fly it Well Yeah no. you can drive it You didn't know you could drive it further Than just off the Off the tarmac yeah, Like yeah. It doesn't handle well But it you can drive it <laughs> Very wide turns And we have a bumper sticker On the back That says yeah, yeah. We do wide turns Yeah <laughs> Well but that's The making of things Is what Is what's fun and that's yeah. what's that, and that's what keeps me going. And that's like, and that's like now, you know, from the Conan show ending in June, and you know, I've done some things, but nothing, nothing steady. And I, most of the time, I'm just sitting here feeling like, just put me in, coach. Just you know, I just want to make TV, you know, because it's what I do, and it's one, you know, it's one of the gifts Conan gave me was trust in my judgment, and mm-hmm. for God knows how many years saying, is that funny to me? And I'd go, yeah, it's funny or no, it needs a new ending or whatever. Like he allowed me to learn how to make TV because I did it. We did it four days a week for a gazillion years. So. And also you saying trusting your judgment, like Andy, you're super funny. Like I, like I came up in LA, like, you know, we all worship you like that, you know, like seeing you at that presentation with Kamala and like being there, I was like, this is so dope. Cause I was like, this is a comedian that I love. And now he's like, entering this space and da 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 yeah. you have 
such a great sense of comedy. And you, you know, obviously, you know, that, you know, it's proven in your work and your life, but like, being able to trust that you know what's funny is a really dope thing that yeah. I think can translate to anybody's life, even if you're not a comedian. Like, it, honestly, I take the white man road where there's a lot of unqualified white men doing things every single day. Yeah. And I was like, I'll be unqualified till I'm qualified. I'm yeah. not going to write myself out of the race. Oh, it's always fake it till you make it. Yeah. Always, always, always. It never stops. There's always going to be some new mm -hmm. thing you're unsure of. And you got to be like, well, the, if they're going to act like I can do it, who am I to tell them no? Yeah. I can do it. Sure. Why not? And yeah. it's not faking it because I, I like I, I know that phrase is like so popular, but I think that the root of that is just having the confidence and love for yourself to know I'm a smart person. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Well, it, it just I mean, well, first of all, it rhymes. So that's why. It's and that's why it's thing. cute. I say. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but it is kind of like to enter into a situation that you don't have confidence about. You got to, you know, you got to you got to invent some confidence. Yeah. yeah. So and then you you acquire it through, you know, through experience. Well, now, when, do you got any um, like what are your big plans with your life? Ten kids. Uh -huh. Mobile home, your own boat. Well, we know you want a plane. <laughs> yes, I uh, do. Or do you want to? Are you know? Do you want to direct? Do you want to? You know? I do have wanna, your own beauty pageant. You know. I want to direct, um, which was something I figured out very recently because working in TV, like you get a, a ton, you know, you get a ton of different directors. Like, yeah. it's not like film. It's not like where directors have the massive control and TV directors are kind of in and out, but I've worked with a lot of directors and like, I have pitched things and written things and punched things up and like, Oh, where's the camera going to be here? Maybe can we pan from this to this over to us? Like I've started to learn that like, I do have an eye for direction. Right. So it's something that I'm interested in doing more for sure. And like professionally, but also like, I want, it would be, this is the loftiest dream. I'm like, it would be nice to own a home in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, I tried, I tried during the pandemic to get myself a home. They're talking about millennial, millennials don't want to buy houses. I'm like, bitch, houses don't want us to buy them. Yeah, yeah. We being rejected by the house. What you talking about? I, I gave the house mom. I went and got pre-approved by the bank. And they were like, hey, do you want to tack on like an extra half a mil? Because you're going to have to outbid people and, and, you know, fist fight people in the front line with a suitcase full of money, like right. to get a home. And I'll never forget when I was looking. I'm going to have to start looking again just because rent some is financially like not a smart decision after a certain the, amount of money the, it's like this is a mortgage and i'm the wasting the first money. mortgage payment i made i felt like a fucking idiot for the entire previous part of my life like, <laughs> oh right i've just been flushing money down the toilet mm -hmm. down the years and years drain and years. yeah down the drain yeah. and i am right there with you i'm I, well you are out of it i'm still in it this is a i don't own this place that you're looking at right now it's very much rented yeah yeah no and, I, this is i live in a rental i got divorced a few years ago and we're holding mm -hmm. on to the house until my daughter gets out of high school oh so nice. i i i mean i, I <laughs> we should go get out of high school because the market is hot right now you might two have to years, put your baby up in the years. motel six they need light on for I, listen, you, I'll give you her number. You can talk to her. You can tell her. <laughs> tell her I'll tell 
Because they're going to leave the light on for her. No, she wants us to... To have a museum to her childhood that we continue to, to you know, curate for the rest of our lives. Oh, y'all yes. are so sweet. I yeah, love yeah. a little sweet, little gullible parent because I didn't have that. <laughs> yeah. When I was leaving for college, my mom was like, let's pack up your room. And then they turned my room into my sister's room. And then her room became her office slash playroom. And I had to stay in a guest bedroom. Right. And it wasn't even that we didn't have enough get bedrooms. My mom was just like, you'll live here in the boat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You're gone. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, if my daughter wants us to preserve her room, she needs to become like a famous assassin or something. You know, it's <laughs> like, here it is as she left it. Right. Because uh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. listen, I don't even have that many photos of myself as a child. You would think that my family went through a house fire or something <laughs> in my youth. Yeah, yeah. Because when I tell you it's like six photos that I can reference as a child, I'm like, I hope no movie ever wants pictures of me as a kid because Lori Bishop, honey. Right. <laughs> I remember I would bring home like art projects and stuff. But you have a daughter, so you know, you, you do the art projects at school. And yeah. you bring it home, it's like macaroni, some bullshit that your teacher done scraped together and you make some ugly shit out of it and you write mom and daddy on it. Yeah, and I would yeah. bring these things home and mom would be like, oh, this is so cute. And then she would pop the lid of the trash can and throw it away in front of me. <laughs> See that? You can't do that. She's you like, gotta, oh, she's like, we don't you need You got to put it on the fridge and then just wait till dis they're distracted and then <laughs> throw it away. And, <laughs> you know, and sometimes, like, there's good ones. Like, you want to keep the good ones. But then there's someone's like, no, this is not our best work. The fuck this. This is going away. You know? But to close up your question, uh, I didn't forget. I love a tangent. <laughs> um, I want to write a book, which feels like something that actually may happen pretty soon. Oh, I. I want to turn my podcast into a television show, which is something that I've been working on. Um, I want to make art and have the freedom to help other people in similar positions to me when I started making art or, or different, mm -hmm. you know, people of color, queer people, marginalized people, people with different abilities. Like I want to be able to have a production company where I can assist them in making their art. Yeah. Um, and maybe one day, like, I loved UCB, and UCB recently got sold to venture capitalists, and we'll mm -hmm. see what happens from there. Um, but I worked a lot with the UCB before, before that happened with Project Rethink and, like, just trying to, like, make a better right. situation for young comedians coming up. But I might even want to, like, start a school like that because... Yes. I got so much out of UCB, out of yep. just like having friends who were in the same struggle as me in the same creative journey, getting to watch you and Kamala Harris like on stage, like get, learning so much from so many creative, amazing people. I met Laura Chen. She was my first improv coach. She wrote a, my first television role for me, like my manager yeah. I got from UCB, like my agents watched a, a Herald show to vet me. To hire me so it's just like i would want to do something like that to like be able to contribute back to young artists coming up because it was great yeah it's and if they go away it'll be needed because it was a it was a very vital place extremely and, and you know and i was very proud of my friends for for doing it um okay well we're almost done one more question um yeah you're young uh <laughs> and i would say you're definitely still at the beginning but what do you think you've learned so far? You know, I mean, because the, the, the question, that answer will change as time goes on, I'm of sure, course. you know. What I've learned so far, okay, so I'll start with my scammer brain. 
my scammer brain has taught me that if you want to belong in a place or much like what we were talking about before the fake it till you make it, just walk in any room and act very unimpressed with everything that's there. Mm -hmm. I have snuck into Emmy's parties doing that. I have uh, met Beyonce doing that. Like, you know, just like be unimpressed and and, and don't be thirsty because Mm -hmm. that's what people love. Like, just like in relationships where people are like, oh, you got to make them chase you. It's the same thing professionally. Like if people feel like don't be rude, but like if people feel like you got other things to do and other opportunities, they're much more interested in you than if you are coming off desperate or like you need things like there's there's a, a lot of power yeah. in looking like I can stay out of go, you yeah. know. And that was something that I learned because the second that I stopped being pressed and thirsty was the second that people in the industry, like I used to do commercial auditions and I remember I took a commercial audition class. They was like, mail the cast directors a gift at Christmas, a little Starbucks Ugh. gift card or, or send you a headshot or say thank you. Like do all this schmoozy ass bullshit. I never booked a commercial when I was thirsty to book a commercial. When I finally, I don't do those auditions anymore, but when I was like at the end of my rope and kind of like, I'm working, I don't need to do this shit. Whenever I would just show up and be like, hey, can y'all take me in? Because my meter going to be up in uh, seven minutes and I'm not putting no more coins in. Like when I was just like, I don't want to be here. They were like, her, her. The one yep. who hates to be here. Yes, her. yes. We yes. want her. Nothing <laughs> is someone, nothing is more attractive than someone that doesn't need you. Yes. You They're like, I why mean? don't they need us? We want I, them now. Like, hmm. Oh, shit. They must have something going on if they don't Fancy. need me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That and I guess this is curtailed to the performance aspect because we're both, you know, entertainers. But I think it can apply generally is that I also learned that and this is something that Ken Bolden, an acting teacher I had in college, taught me every audition is just a show. It's just an opportunity for you to entertain people, for you to give them joy and ego is what makes us in our heads about, do they like me? Is this going to go over well? Will I present the way I want? How do I look in the moment? I hope I don't mm-hmm. look bad or weird, like all these vanity things. He was like, if you just show up places and you're there to entertain, you're there to do the thing that God put you on the earth for and just give people joy or give people an experience or a connection. If you leave all that other shit behind and you just treat everything like it's a show. Yeah. Then you're, one, way better off. I've booked way more in that mentality. But also just, it's enjoyable for me. Because mm-hmm. so many parts of our lives feel like minutiae. They feel like rigmarole. They feel like things that we have to get through. And that was something that has helped me connect in every aspect of my life of like, every moment is not something that you need to get through. Like, this, you're alive. And like, how can you make the most of everything? Even the most mundane activities. You know, which is why I feel like a lot of people do mushrooms, because if you do mushrooms, I've done mushrooms before. Uh, everything just started looking more interesting. I was yeah. staring at trees and be like, damn, that tree is treeing. Like, <laughs> wow, I've lived next yeah. to this tree for three years and I didn't even know the tree was over here treeing like this. Look at these yeah. leaves. OK, Mother Willow, go off. You know, you start to appreciate the little things more. And <laughs> Conan yeah. O'Brien. After uh, just this, because you know him and everything, yeah. he 
he came to work after he got a colonoscopy. Oh my God. And uh, he was like, or it might've been the next day, but he was like, oh my God, you know, cause they put you under to mm-hmm. do it. And then, you know, and you had, you know, you got to like basically evacuate everything inside you for a day yeah. beforehand. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they put you under and then you wake up and you're kind of groggy, but then like you go have a big breakfast, you know, like, mm-hmm. and so he was like, oh my God, I felt so good. I felt like, because I just <laughs> felt so light and, and then the food tasted good. And I was like, yeah, Conan, that's called drugs. You were taking drugs. That's, that's the secret to drugs. Sleep of my life. They, they make things better, you know. Like that's the whole key. That's yeah. That's drugs. Like oh, okay, you know. Like that's not. You're not the first person. Like you're not the only person that feels good after they come off of like, you know, it's whatever so cute. it is. Yeah, it was yeah. like I had the best sleep. They injected the sleep into my veins, and <laughs> wow, was that the best sleep I've ever had? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, Lacey, I know you got to go and, uh, you know, I have a life too, you know, I have things, um, but thank you so I know much. You're so happy. This has been a joy. You brought me joy. So you, you, you did your job. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, and it's, it's great to see you and I, I will see you around campus. I'm sure. Yes. And, uh, thank all of you out there for listening and we will be back next week with more of this. Got a big, big love. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 